You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. God is good? All the time, all the time. I stole that from Valentine a couple weeks ago, although I don't deliver it quite as well. Uh, welcome to Redeemer. Glad that you are here. For all of those of you who are here in person, uh, for those of you joining us online through live stream, we're honored to have you as well. For those who will catch the video later this week or the podcast uh, later this week, we are glad you are listening uh, with us as well. And if you are joining from a hospital room after open heart surgery in Houston, a special uh, hello to you, Dusty and Mara. We love you. Um, I want to uh, give you a little bit of background, just kind of uh, where we're going uh, the next few weeks. Really, I'll kind of give you a commercial about that's going to carry us all the way through uh, Christmas, through the end of the year. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Parables in the Park. Uh, you may have some questions about that. Why are we uh, in a gym, not in a park? More on that later. Um, but we're going to be starting this series, and we're going to have about nine different weeks of parables that's going to carry us uh, through a big portion of this summer. Uh, and then we're going to pick up the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to preach through the greatest sermon ever preached uh, for most of the fall through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to get about halfway done, and then we'll take a little pause for Advent, and then 2020 will be over. And then in the spring, we'll pick up with the community gospel and mission, as we have done the last seven years, and then finish out uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, just some fun so that you know where we are going. So today, uh, we start Parables in the Park, and your question is... Uh, we're in a gym, we're not in a park. That is true today. That will not be true next week. Uh, beginning next Sunday, uh, we will have three Sundays uh, that we will be meeting in the park. You sound half excited. We'll get there. I'm excited. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, the gym floor does not have its normal mat and covering because uh, Midland Christian School, who we rent the facility from on Sundays, uh, will be resurfacing uh, all, really all the floors in the whole facility uh, over the next few weeks. So we will be meeting uh, in the park, which I'm super excited about. Uh, it's a good reminder that we are a people. The church is a people. Uh, it's, it's not a place. Uh, we're a family. We're not a facility. And so I think, personally, uh, it's good for us to uh, uh, be moved around and be reminded what our identity is, that our identity is not wrapped up in a building or a location. Uh, we are a people, a family, and we can meet anywhere. And in fact, the church has been meeting in a lot of places throughout the centuries. And probably uh, this is going to be a little bit more of an accurate representation of how most of the parables would have been heard. Uh, many of the parables would have been heard uh, sitting next to uh, your family on the ground, in the grass, uh, in, a, in a maybe not a part park setting like we know, but out on a field where Jesus would be preaching to the masses. Uh, so I've got a couple details for you uh, about parables in the park the next three weeks. Are y'all ready? All right, first off, is uh, this is at Hogan Park, so if you get on Wadley and you take Wadley East all the way, uh, just past La Mesa, we want you all to take that first turn right after uh, the baseball fields, turn left or turn north, uh, and you'll go up, uh, and there's two different parking lots on this next slide um, that you can park in this west lot or that south lot, should be plenty of parking for everyone, and then you can find your way over here. At 8.30 uh, every morning for those three Sundays, we will provide 
free breakfast burritos and coffee. I would love for you to come early uh, to meet somebody new. If you've been around a long time, uh, come as a host and introduce yourself to someone and grab a free burrito from the one and only Cajun Kevin. Kevin, where are you at? He's in the back. If you've eaten anything here, there's a good chance it's come from Kevin, so you will not be disappointed. Uh, so 8.30 is uh, free breakfast and coffee in this covered breakfast area pavilion, and then that shaded worship area is where we will have a stage set up, and we will have one service for those three Sundays at 9 o'clock. Uh, we will have chairs put out uh, in that area. You're welcome to bring a blanket if you want to uh, uh, turn this into a picnic, or there's some sturdy benches with some shade in the awning at the breakfast area. If you would like to sit there, we're going to make sure that we have sound that can reach all of those places. Uh, and then afterwards, after the one service, we're not going to have uh, Redeemer kids for those three Sundays. Uh, we're going to ask them to come sit and listen and just have a big family service. Uh, and I will make the sermon very uh, applicable to uh, a six-year-old and also somebody that's been following Jesus for 50 years. So I'm excited for us to sit down uh, as a family. Uh, after after the services are done, we will uh, open up the playground for the kids. Uh, we're going to pull out the bounce houses. We have some face painting and some balloon art, uh, and we're just going to have a really good time hanging out afterwards as a church family. Um, last but not least, if you are interested in helping financially, uh, we have opened up a fund through uh, either the app or if you give on the website, uh, you can go look for the special fund that says, I believe, Church in the Park, um, because there's a lot of extra expenses we're incurring these next few weeks for this. Uh, all that I'm super excited about. So next Sunday, 8.30, Hogan Park. Sound good? We're going to need some more energy. Sound good? Okay, I am, I'm super excited. So today, uh, parables uh, in the park slash in the gym. Uh, I want to give a little bit of, of backdrop for you about what a parable is uh, and what the, the purpose of uh, Jesus' parables especially uh, was when he gave them and is for us today, especially if you're new to, new to the Bible, you're new to church, you're new to Christianity. Uh, a parable is a story that's been, been made up, it's been fabricated, it's been created uh, to convey a, a truth or a moral principle or a reality about the kingdom of God. And normally it's a truth that is very familiar to people that's used to express something and explain something that's unfamiliar. Right? It's something that's accessible that people understand. Like in Jesus' time, they maybe didn't understand what the kingdom of heaven was like, but they understood farming. So Jesus would take a familiar thing and use that and create a story to explain something that is a little bit unfamiliar to folks. Uh, I do this often with my kids. Uh, if we're trying to teach them or explain a concept or something that they're kind of unfamiliar with, I will look around for something in their life, uh, whether it's an experience or a place, uh, that they are very familiar with and kind of create this story and explain it. And they're like, okay, I understand. And they say, it's like that. And normally there's this like moment. It's like the aha moment, right? It's like, oh, I get it now. I understand uh, through this, this story that's familiar to me, something that was unfamiliar. Uh, I honestly hope, and even if you've been around the Bible your whole life, I honestly hope that we, we have some, some aha moments uh, over the next nine weeks where we uh, listen to parables and we understand a truth or a moral principle or a reality about the kingdom of God uh, that maybe we haven't ever heard or maybe we haven't truly considered 
in an honest way in a long time. Uh, I hope that we all have a few moments like that where we're like, oh, I, I get it. I get it. I, I understand. Uh, and with Jesus' parables especially, and there, there's a lot of them, there's over 40 parables in the New Testament uh, covering ranges of for like from mustard seeds uh, to hogs, uh, swine, coins, hidden treasure, uh, rebellious sons, sheep and shepherds, uh, farmers who are out doing their good work of farming, weddings, parties, and, uh, and the list goes on. A whole lot of different stories that Jesus uses to convey truths to us. And the parables had, they had two different effects on people. Uh, To some people, and Jesus says to these people that had spiritual ears to hear, that the parables revealed things to them. And for those that didn't have ears to hear, it concealed things. So some people, they walked away from the parables because they had soft hearts and they had ears to hear. The Holy Spirit opened up their minds and they're like, oh, It makes sense. I understand it on a deeper level. And some people walked away confused uh, because uh, their their hearts weren't ready uh, to listen to the spiritual meaning. Uh, And so most of the parables that Jesus gave, uh, people walked away with one or uh, two, one of those two different options. And, And you need to know this, especially in the culture that we live in, that almost every parable that Jesus gave included both judgment and grace. There's like a good side and a bad side, so to speak, uh, to the parables, that, uh, and that's just how Jesus is. Like, He said some things that were just so full of patience and mercy and grace and forgiveness, but then He said some things that were so full of, of truth and correction and rebuke, and most of the parables, you're going to see them come full circle. You're going to see both of the things take place, and this is why this is a challenge in our culture, because a lot of people love half of Jesus, Right? Like a lot of people are like, I really love Jesus. Well, what do you love about him? I love that he's gracious. I love that he's patient. I love that he's kind. I love that he's forgiving. And yet they, they don't like the other half of Jesus. Well, you know, he also is, is he, he teaches and he rebukes and he corrects and he's full of justice and, and in some instances uh, righteous anger. And a lot of our culture are like, no, I don't, I don't like that Jesus. I just like the nice Jesus. Well, just a a helpful thing to know, like Jesus is a a package deal, right? We we take all of Jesus or we don't take uh, any of it, and Jesus is going to, through these parables, uh, I think, both convict and comfort us. I I think if, if we preach these correctly, Jesus is going to, at the same time, convict you and comfort you. At the same time, he's going to challenge you and encourage you. If you think about Jesus just as a man and the teaching that he gave, he was so good at grace and patience and kindness that some of the most, the the people that were furthest from God were drawn into him because they knew they were going to find grace with Jesus. And yet he was so full of truth and, and conviction that the religious leaders plotted illegally to murder him. Like he was very effective at both sides. And so as we walk through these parables these next nine weeks, I truly hope that we're convicted and we're comforted. I hope that we're challenged and encouraged. Okay, so for today's parable, if you have a Bible... Let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10, uh, perhaps the most famous of all the parables. I'm not really sure, but uh, I would put it in the top three for sure, is the Good Samaritan. Everybody say, Good Samaritan. 
Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25 and read what uh, might be a brand new story or a new parable to you uh, if you are new to the church, and maybe you've heard this your whole life, but we'll trust the Holy Spirit uh, to help us learn something from it this morning. So if you're in Luke chapter 10 and ready for the backdrop to the parable that Jesus is about to share, say, church in the park. All right, here we go. Luke 10, 25 says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, lawyer here, this lawyer just kind of stands up. We're not sure where this took place or really what uh, the other details of the setting were, but we know there was probably a group of people there with Jesus, and he was doing some teaching, and somebody from the crowd stood up and had a question for Jesus, and we're told here that it was a lawyer, uh, which probably, it doesn't mean somebody that was like uh, well acquainted with the Roman or Jewish political laws. Uh, It was probably a Jewish man that was well-versed in the Old Testament and uh, Uh, God's laws, so it wouldn't be somebody that's going to grill Jesus on, okay, Jesus, I'm a lawyer, I'm an expert in the law, what is the speed limit on Main Street in Jerusalem, right? Not that kind of law. This would have been somebody that had been trained and was an official representative of the Old Testament for God, a lawyer, an expert in Jewish Old Testament law. He he poses this question, right, and it's actually a a really good question, Uh, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And this is probably not a malicious question. Like sometimes, I'm sure you remember these stories, sometimes when people come to test Jesus, they're trying to trap him or they're trying to put him in a no-win situation. Uh, I don't think this is what is taking place. This seems like that this lawyer is an official, like, expert on the law, and Jesus is an unofficial person that declares and claims that he knows something about the law. Um, So this really is kind of an expert standing up to ask uh, the unofficial person uh, some questions just so he can kind of see and gauge uh, who Jesus is. And you and I do this all the time. Uh, if uh, If you have any kind of knowledge based on something or if you're passionate about a certain subject, and then you meet somebody else, and they're kind of passionate. You ask like one or two gauging questions to try to figure out where exactly they are, right, in this uh, in this spectrum of novice to expert. Uh, I, most of you all know this, I enjoy hunting. I enjoy getting out, uh, especially into the backcountry and the mountains. And so when I meet somebody uh, that says, oh, I like to hunt, I normally have like one or two questions. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited, but I need to gauge like how similar we are, where you're at on this spectrum. Like, do you like to, to go up in the mountains and, and suffer, or is it like a heated blind with Wi-Fi and a bartender, you know, that you're going in there and there's a feeder uh, 75 yards away and a deer tied up. It's like, I can ask one or two questions and just listen to, to the way you talk and the words you use and say, okay, I know a little bit more. Like, that's kind of a dumb analogy, obviously. That, that's kind of what what this lawyer's doing. He's like, okay, I'm an expert, and I have been to all the schools, and I'm officially a lawyer. I understand the Old Testament. And a lot of people seem to be going to Jesus, and he seems to carry this authority about him. And so I need to ask a couple questions, see if he's actually legit. That's what I think is taking place. I don't think he's trying to trap Jesus to test him. I think when it says, stood up to put him to the test, he's trying to actually figure out uh, what Jesus was made of legally. Uh, So that was the test. Uh, So lawyer, Jewish man, expert in the Old Testament and God's laws, asks the question to Jesus, 
And Jesus responds, as he often does, uh, with a question. He doesn't give the answer. He kind of spins it around, gives it a question, leaves it in the lawyer's lap. Verse 26, he said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, uh, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, which quite honestly is an awesome response. I think this lawyer had it much more figured out than most of the other uh, Pharisees and religious leaders who, like, they would have just answered through, like, well, the law is like, obey this and do this and don't do this. But this guy actually understood the heart of the law, that all of the hundreds and hundreds of laws that God gave his people uh, were, were, were designed to terminate in love, to teach us to love the Lord our God with all our mind, soul, heart, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. I mean, he, he couldn't have nailed it any better than he did. And Jesus said to him, uh, verse 28, oh, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I mean, Jesus basically said, God, you nailed it. You crushed it. You summed up the whole Old Testament the way God designed it to be summed up. In fact, the way Jesus himself answered the question. Y'all remember when somebody asked Jesus, Jesus, what are the, most, the two most important commandments? What did he say? Love God, love your neighbor. This guy answered it well. So Jesus is saying, you nailed it. You understand the commandments, um, but you need to make sure that you're practicing what you preach. He's saying, you preach it correctly. Now go and, and do it. Now go and practice it. Now go and live it out. Uh, basically, Jesus is saying, you get it. Now do it, which seemingly put this lawyer in a very uh, difficult position where he began to squirm because he was, he was fine when he had right theology, uh, but when Jesus kind of turns the attention to how well he was living it out, uh, he gets a little bit uh, defensive, probably a little bit insecure, kind of squirms around a bit, and then this is how he responds, verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself... And if we're, we're honest, we probably come to God and present ourselves to other people much more of the time, maybe than we're uh, really honest in, in, in revealing to people, uh, that we're not coming to try to really gain truth or grow, just to kind of try to justify our actions or justify uh, what we've been doing. And so th there was something going on in the lawyer's life and his heart that caused him to think, oh, gosh, I have to justify myself. And so he says, but desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Which is a, is a very, not just an interesting question, this is a very telling question to what is deep in this man's heart. So he had felt some kind of guilt that he was trying to squirm out and get out from under. His theology was great, and Jesus is saying, yeah, now go and love your neighbor. And he's like, well, I don't love everybody, so I need, I need Jesus to kind of give me an out here. And so he says, who is my neighbor? And right, the, the other half of that question, like, it, it sounds like a good question. Well, well, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? But what that question implies is that the lawyer believed there was somebody who was not his neighbor. The lawyer believed there was somebody who this 
command didn't apply to. Well, obviously, I don't need to be nice to Republicans or Democrats. Like, who is my neighbor? Because there's got to be somebody that it doesn't apply to, Uh, uh, maybe rich, maybe poor, whatever you can put in the blank to try to uh, think through. Like, who would this person not have wanted to love? How far truly would this be extended? Uh, Rich, poor, black, white would extend to Jew or Samaritan. Would it only extend to public school or private school or all the way even to homeschool? (sighs) Listen, the homeschool jokes are going to increase over the next few weeks because we are homeschooling again. Uh, We will have two kids in public school and one kid homeschool, and so I think we should switch one of them to private so that I just have a fair game to make as many jokes as I want to. Equal opportunity everywhere. Sound good? No? Okay. Well... I will quit (laughs) marching down that line of thought. Uh, Where are we at? Verse 30. Okay, so that's the whole backdrop to Jesus' parable. This guy, he's an expert in the law. He nailed the theology. He's struggling with the practice. He asks a question that truly reveals a gaping hole in his heart and truly reveals a faulty definition of love. And Jesus creates a parable in his mind, shares it with his words that is designed to be very accessible for us to understand and to teach us a very true thing. And the one thing that Jesus is trying to teach is he's trying to teach people that claim to be Christians or claim to be followers of Jesus or lovers of God how we are to go about our lives by actually loving. He's trying to redefine for this man and hopefully for you and I, love. And so verse 30, Jesus replied... A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The the, the lawyer listening to the parable probably would automatically assume that this was a Jewish man because this man was leaving Jerusalem. Um, So he would probably begin already to identify with uh, this man in the story. Uh, I'm not an expert on a lot of things, but kind of in in the office, in the church office, I'm kind of known as uh, the resident expert of Google Earth and Onyx Maps. And so uh, I just, I love geeking out on maps. So I actually got on Google Earth and did a flyby and like, uh, you can go down to to Jerusalem and kind of reenact this walk uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, it's about 17 miles uh, where you, you lose about 3,200 feet of elevation because uh, Jerusalem sets uh, just shy of 3,000 feet, and Jericho is almost to the edge of the Dead Sea on the northwest corner, uh, and it's actually below sea level, and it's super rocky, looks incredibly treacherous, and would be a very well-known uh, trail or path to these people. And so Jesus is painting this picture uh, that a Jewish man leaves Jerusalem, and he's wandering through the desert, maybe where he shouldn't be. It's a very dangerous place. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. That's the first character in the story. And, and, and you kind of get this feeling that Jesus wants to connect this lawyer to, to help him identify with this person. He was minding his own business. He was out marching all the way to Jericho, and then he gets in this maybe this perfect ambush spot in this little chute, and these uh, bandits, these robbers come out, and they beat him, and they rip all of his clothes off, and they throw him down. They're kicking him. They're wailing on him, uh, basically leave him half dead, probably unconscious, laying there in the blood, uh, in his own blood and sweat, and just he, he 
looks half dead. The poor man, has, he's utterly helpless. Uh, he's laying there as a victim, and uh, that's the first character that Jesus shares with us. And then, and you know the story, he begins to go through three different people that pass by. Verse 31, the first uh, passerby that we meet, verse 31 says this, now by chance, a priest, everybody say priest, a priest, which if you're the lawyer listening to Jesus tell the story, like, oh, praise God, a priest, because if anybody should help this guy, it's a priest that's full-time job is to functionally work in the temple to serve God and to serve others. And Jesus says, now a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And he's like, dang it, priest, what's wrong with you, priest? The guy needs your help. If you don't do something, who's going to help this guy? And so I'm sure like he's, he's internally frustrated by the priest. We don't know why. Like maybe he was selfish and so he passed by. Uh, maybe he was in a hurry and didn't have time to uh, help this guy and make his appointment. Uh, maybe he really thought the guy was dead and didn't want to defile himself as a priest touching a dead body. Not really sure, but Jesus says he passed by on the other side, didn't even uh, touch him or try to lend a hand. Verse 32 is the second character. So likewise, a Levite... Everybody say Levite. So if you were the lawyer, you think, oh, man, the priest really sucked it up. Uh, at least there's a Levite coming by now, the second most uh, logical person that would actually lend a hand. Uh, if, I'll give you a little bit of a backdrop to what a Levite was. Um, God made the a promise to Abraham. I'm, re- I'm reaching way back Old Testament here, right, to catch you up to speed. God told Abram, he called Abram out, he said, I like you, I choose you, I want to bless the whole world through you, he says, I'm going to create a nation, and so he promises that the nation of Israel that would birth Jesus the Messiah uh, would come through Abraham, and then Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, and all 12 of those sons are named, uh, uh, or the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel are named after Jacob's 12 sons, so when you hear about tribes in the Bible, that's what it's referring to. One of those tribes was the Levites. Jacob had a son named Levi, and the Levites were the the family that was uh, to take care, really, of the temple. They weren't all priests, but uh, if you were a Levite and you were not a priest, you probably had some type of function to serve uh, in, in the temple. And so Jesus is like, well, this Levite shows up, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side too. And I'm sure the lawyer's like, come on, man, who's going to help this guy? Because the lawyer is identifying with the man who'd been beaten. And then in verse 33, Jesus introduces us to the third person, which is very difficult to express uh, how much hatred there was in Jesus' day between the Jews and Samaritans. So the the third character that Jesus represents is a Samaritan. And and it's really hard to take that animosity and to transport it where we truly understand and feel um, the the, the frustration and the hatred that would have been between a lawyer, a Jewish expert, uh, and the the, the Samaritan. In fact, there's, there's a good chance when the, when the lawyer asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? He was assuming, well, the Samaritan's not because they're not even human. Like a best case scenario, they would feel like, 
you know, the, the Samaritans are just uh, wicked, horrible people, but like a worst-case scenario, they would think, well, they're not, they're, they're kind of subhuman. Like, they're, they're kind of three-fifths of a human type, type thing. And, and so, it's hard to, to, to feel what this lawyer would have felt when Jesus introduces a Samaritan into the story, but he would have not been excited. He probably would have been a little bit tense, very uncomfortable with the way Jesus has taken the story. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, he's like, ooh, I don't, I don't know where this is going. Surely he didn't do anything good. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That, that word, it's like it means he deeply felt in his guts. Like some, he was like, oh, gosh, this poor guy has been beaten half to death. He's naked. He's laying here all alone. And he, he, he felt for him. He felt with him. He felt compassion in his guts. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, you know, pulled out his backpack. Maybe he, had to, maybe he took off a part of his, his robe or his sash and used that to bind up the open wounds of this man. Jesus is trying to paint a pretty vivid picture for us. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal. So he was riding perhaps a donkey or a horse. Uh, he gets off, puts the wounded man on his own horse and his own donkey, and led it, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, which means he took an entire day out of his schedule, marked it off his planner. There, there's probably a reason this man was going to Jericho, but he just wiped everything clean to help this man. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you need, I will repay you when I come back. That's the parable. The parable of the Jewish man beaten, left for dead. Three people come, two ignore him, then one helps. And then Jesus kind of brings to this climax and he turns the parable and he poses this question to the lawyer. He, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I don't know if you catch what Jesus is doing, but Jesus has kind of trapped this guy where against his will, he is about to have to confess that the, that the Samaritan was the hero in the story. But he's kind of caught, he's caught him and he's like, kind of like, I gotcha. Yeah. And so the lawyer's like, dead, come it, I gotta answer this question. So he, he poses the question, verse 37, and he said, ah, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Did y'all notice that? Like, he couldn't even say it out loud. He was just like, he, he despised them so much potentially that he's like, well, the, 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 that guy, you know, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and do likewise. What, what is so brilliant about two things from this parable is it's the, the truth that Jesus is trying to convey and the, the wisdom and the wit by which Jesus goes about to convey it. So he's trying to teach us, like, truly how to love people the way God has loved us, uh, how, how to represent him in the world, how to truly love our neighbor. He's trying to, to, to teach that to us, but he does it in a way that uh, it's, it's probably very different than how you and I would have, have done it. Uh, and so I, I've done a lot of reading this week, and I thought through, and I was like, I, I, I understood just how counterintuitive 
Jesus' story was and how different Jesus' parable was from probably the way you and I would have written it. And I, I labored the last few days to try to find a precise way to say this where it really makes uh, the most impact. And just to be honest, I just I, I, I read some quotes and I thought, like, there's just no way that I can improve these. So I'm just going to read to you uh, something that uh, Pastor Keller wrote in, uh, in a book about this parable. Uh, he's talking about this is how you and I probably would have written the story, which would not have made the impact the way Jesus did. So Keller says this, he said, had we been confronted or confronted this lawyer, most of us would have concocted a story like this, a Jew with whom the lawyer could identify. He comes down the road, he finds a man lying on the road, dying in his own blood, <coughs> excuse me, robbed of his possessions, and upon closer look, he sees, oh, it's a Samaritan. And nonetheless, he alights from his animal, bandages up his wounds, and takes him to safety. Now, we would have said to the law expert, there's your answer. Who is my neighbor, you asked? Why, even an enemy like a Samaritan is your neighbor if he is in need. That's probably how I would have written the story. The guy, well, who's my neighbor? Well, you're the good guy, and this guy's in need, so serve him. Uh, but, but listen to how Jesus he, 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 he tweaks the story and he changes it. So what Jesus wrote, he says, but Jesus, a far wiser counselor than us, he reverses the expected roles of the characters. And he puts a Jew with whom the lawyer could identify with as the one dying in the road, not the one who was there to render help. That's kind of a nuanced difference. Listen to me. That is a massive difference difference. If you're going to love your neighbor the way God has designed you to, that's the nuance that actually helps us see things the way we're supposed to see them. He, he, he's redefining love. Listen to what Keller says. He says, this shows that the way the, the lawyer thinks he should treat others is inconsistent with the way he himself would want to be treated. It shows the error in his definition of love by being forced to consider how he would want to be treated, thus the lawyer learns how he really ought to treat others. It, it, it seems very similar for me to say, okay, you want to be a salt and light in the world and be like Jesus and, and obey the heart of all the commands, love your God and love your neighbor, then you go and and and. and try to figure out how to give love and love your neighbor. Like that, that's very different than walking through life, seeing people and say, if I were them, how would I want someone to treat me or to love me? That's somewhat of a small nuance, but it, it's so powerful. And so Jesus is trying to, to help us like walk through life, not thinking about, oh, how should I give love and how should I give this, but like to truly put ourselves in other people's shoes and their place and their situation and think, if I were them, how would I want someone else to treat me? If you go back and look through verses 33, 34, 35, uh, Jesus uh, goes out of his way, to, I think very purposefully, uh, to list five different elements uh, that have to do with like true gospel love. Number one, this is in verse 33, uh, compassion. 
Everything that, uh, that came from this Samaritan was driven by this compassion that he took the time uh, to look at this person as a human being, to imagine what it must be like to be them and to feel with them. Now, th- there's a cost to that, right? Like empathy to feel with someone, there's a high cost to that because uh, you're not willing to walk into empathy with someone if it's painful and if it hurts unless you truly love them. A really good friend of mine this week found out that their, uh, their, 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 their unborn baby was at 20 weeks and the heart had just stopped and they had to uh, give birth and just a, an, an absolute horrible, horrible thing to have to walk through and, and to, to have empathy with them or compassion with them, you, you take on some of those feelings. You, you, you feel the same things. And apparently the first two, the, the priest and the Levite, they weren't willing to even begin with that, to, to feel this deep compassion with someone. So true love, like Jesus, he inserts like compassion, like you have to be willing to feel for and with someone else. Compassion. Why does that matter? Because God is a compassionate God. Because God feels with us. He empathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. Compassion. The second thing, verse 34, uh, is inconvenience. My guess is that this guy had a place that he needed to be, and it was very inconvenient for him to lose a day and a half. And you know this, but it's probably worth reminding all of us that like, people in need, it just, it just rarely happens from 8 to 5 when you had an hour blocked off on your schedule to help people, right? Like, it's always inconvenient. People needs, like, life is just, it's inconvenient. And Jesus phrases this story to try to say, like, yeah, it was inconvenient. The guy lost a day and a half of his plans. The third one, same, same thing there in verse 34, is there's self-sacrifice that's involved if you're going to love your neighbor. The guy had to walk however many miles to the end uh, pulling his horse. It was inconvenient for him to actually show love and act on his compassion. Number four, time. Time is involved. Jesus very purposefully throws in some phrases like the next day. Wow. That was a lot of time that this Samaritan was willing to invest in a stranger that had some need. And number five, money. Verse 35, Jesus very specifically says he gives two denarii to cover the cost. And he said, listen, whatever other costs are incurred beyond this, I'll come back and I'll square up with you. Like, like tr- true Jesus-type compassion It involves compassion, inconvenience, self-sacrifice, your time, and your money. Now, Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. And so for 2,000 years, Christians that have desired to follow Jesus have been reading this, have been thinking about it, and to to a very imperfect extent, have been trying to do it, you know? They've been trying to love the neighbor. Why? This is everything. Like, the entire Bible can be summed up in love God and love your neighbor, and we read this Good Samaritan, we're trying to live it out, and that's how you have uh, centuries that has driven Christians throughout the centuries trying to seek and obey Christ to, to love your neighbor. This is what has happened, right? Uh, Most of the places on the planet where slavery has been abolished, the movement has been led by Christians. Why? Because they were trying to love their neighbor as their self, thinking, if I were a slave, how would I want to be treated? What What do I think should be done? 
Does that mean everybody that was involved in those movements was a Christian? No. But what drove those movements across the globe were Christians trying to love their neighbor. Uh, anywhere that you see that uh, historically uh, there has been a repeal of child labor laws, what's been behind that? Christians. Christian people and Christian movements trying to love. What would it be like if I was that person? If I was that kid, uh, open voting rights in our country and other countries, uh, it's been driven forcefully by, by Christians who are trying to love their neighbors. Civil rights, uh, civil rights movements, it's hard to, to separate in, in the history of our country uh, the civil rights movements with this deep movement of the gospel in people's hearts because it drove Christians to have compassion and to move and to uh, fight for rights for minorities and to those who are oppressed and those who have, have no power and no voice on their own. Uh, hospitals, why would somebody go out of their way to spend their own time and money and inconvenience themselves to, to build something that could physically help? And if you look throughout history, even now, like most of the hospitals that we know have some type of St. Anthony, St. Saint, Saint, Saint John, Baptist, whatever. I, I, grew, I, I was born in a hospital. They, they, they merged. It was Baptist uh, and St. Anthony's, and now it's like Baptist St. Anthony's, so I'm a covered. I'm covered. Uh, like, why? Christians trying to, like Jesus told us, love our neighbor, do it unto other people, what you would want them to do to you. There have been thousands of programs and ministries and nonprofits over the centuries that have helped the poor and the needy. Why? Trying to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, pushed ministry towards homeless. Why? Because if we have compassion, think, what if that was me? What if I had no family? What if I had no job and no education? What would I want someone else to do to me? Now go and do likewise. Uh, ministry to single moms has been uh, a huge portion driven by Christians. Ministry towards those that are expecting and those that are uh, like crisis pregnancy centers has been what? driven by Christians that are desperately trying to love neighbor. What about if you try to read yourself into the story and pretend that you were an unborn child? What would you do? That's what has driven Christians over the centuries to care about unborn children. Why? Because I want to do to them what I wish would be done for me. Like, it's, it's, it's all-encompassing, and so the last few weeks, like, I can already feel like it's getting tense because, like, there's landmines all over our culture about this, which are uh, ridiculous, right? I, I hear often, especially with uh, this kind of the movement and the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the last couple weeks, like, just this kind of idea that, well, how come Christians and churches now all of a sudden care about everything? I think they only care about uh, kids when they're being born, and then they forget. That's just not true, Christians, I've been a part of a lot of churches. Every church I have been involved with has cared about single mothers, has cared about pregnant teenagers, has cared about fostering, adoption, all of it. That's the type of people we need to be. Why? Because Jesus said, don't go out into the world trying to just love people. Like a, I, th I think this is what Jesus was trying to accomplish. He was trying to tell his followers, listen, put this lens on, like these glasses on, and everywhere you go, when you encounter anybody, you just imagine what it would be like to be them. What would you want someone to do to them? Now you go and do likewise. Whether that's a, a minority, whether that's the poor, whether that's a baby, whether that's a kid in, in the foster system, like what does it look like to truly live out our theology? 
Because good theology is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, you're ready. Now go and do likewise. Do like the good Samaritan did. Real quick, a couple minutes on application. Like, again, this is somewhat of a, of a nuanced uh, difference, but I, I think it makes a big difference. So many of you in the room, you're employees. Uh, many of you in the room, you're employers. Uh, this is a good question. You don't just ask, how should I treat my employees? I think a better question is, if I was that employee, how would I want to be treated? It's nuanced, but it leads to a, a very different place. You have a boss. You have an employer. Don't think, how should I treat my employer? Think, if I was my employer, experiencing what they've experienced and go through what they go through, how would I want to be treated? Think about this with kids, with parents, with spouses, not how should I treat my spouse, but if I were my spouse in this moment, in this argument, how would I want to be? You see how just such a slight tweak, it's just a massive, massive difference. Uh, Towards those who who are needy or marginalized in our society, we don't think, well, what should I do? The question to ask is, if I were in their shoes, how would I want myself to be treated? That's why Jesus' teaching, it's so revolutionary, because we have hardwired in us uh, a a desire for self-protection, and Jesus is trying, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Jesus is trying to get us to to turn that on the world. So there, there is nobody that is not our neighbor. Everyone we encounter is our neighbor, and the path forward that Jesus gives us is to Love our neighbor to do unto others, right, as you would have them do unto you. Last thing, and I am done. Why? Why does Jesus teach us to, to, to do this, to, to live like this, to think like this, to have this posture as we go through life? Very simply, because that's the heart of God. Like we have rules and things in our house that when we send our kids out, uh, we say, hey, act like this, be like this, be honest, work hard, be respectful. Why do we do that? Because we feel like that represents us and our, our character and our, our, our mission and our love to the world. Like we want our kids to be good representatives of us in the world. Why is Jesus telling us to love like this, sacrificially, compassionately, where everything is involved? Because that's precisely who God is and how God loves like, that, that's the cross. That's the definition of the cross. Jesus wasn't thinking uh, about what was best for him. He was thinking about what was best for us, to lay his life down, to ransom us, to forgive us, to, uh, to, to save us, to adopt us. And so we don't, get, we, 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 don't, we don't begin with love. Our love is a reaction. Anytime we love our neighbor as ourself, it's a reaction to Jesus that has loved us like that. Let me invite you to bow your head to close your eyes, and let's pray together. I really want to pray that, uh, that God would help this not just be a sermon that we hear one morning, but truly uh, something that would uh, embed itself uh, in our minds and our hearts and the way that we go about life seeing people. Again, maybe you've heard this a hundred times, and maybe this is the first time, um, but I think that the way, the way God uh, works is there's always something that He's trying to teach us in His Word. It's living. It's powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's pray together. Father, we love you because, as John said, you first loved us. Everything that we do is reactionary to what you have done 
for us and to us, in us and through us. Father, I'm grateful for this very simple parable. Father, I pray that you would help help it to shape the way that we love others, to truly treat others as we would want them to treat us. God, I pray that you would help this to permeate every part of our lives. God, from our marriages to our families, to our coworkers, to community groups, to random people that we meet throughout these next many weeks. God, help us to truly go out and do likewise as that good Samaritan did, that he sacrificed his own time and his own money through compassion to love someone else. Father, I pray that you might give us your heart, that you have a heart for the broken, for the lonely, for the hurting, And your design to love them and to reach them is through Christians who invade the world and the culture with eyes to love. Father, help us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.